been coming to Zion now for about four years. Um, the process of me getting here really was a stumble across Zion and Faith Trust really. So I went to uni, adamant that I wanted to do physio, very focused young person. Um, and then during in that I was like, is this what I want to do? I fell pregnant when I, when I was 18, had Lucas, my son, when I was 19. Um, and that gave me a chance really to step back. And somewhere in the mix of that, I knew that I wanted to work with young people. Um, and that's how I stumbled across Face Trust really and started a placement and working with the team. Um, and it didn't take long really to notice something different about them. And all of this was in the process of me still putting a lot of pressure on myself, making sure that I proved that I could still be someone, I could still be successful. Um, not just as a young person, but also as a young mum. And when I met Vicky for the first time, she was like, we're a faith-based organisation, is that okay? And I was just like, yeah, I didn't necessarily know how that could make an organisation any different. Um, but it didn't take long until I worked with them. And I think I compared them to other organisations and other people that I went to uni with that worked with young people. That even though you wanted to make a difference, it just took a step further with FaZe and there was something different and it didn't come from um, a paycheck or just a sense of duty but from the heart of something else that they wanted to work with young people. I helped out a hub on Friday night and being around those volunteers was interesting as well. It, it, you know, I learned quite quickly that they all came to Zion and that's why they served um, and some people invited me to church and asked if I was a Christian and uh, I don't know what my answer could have been really because without any knowing any different it was well yeah I am to the point that when you go to the doc you know the doctors of the hospital and they ask your religion you say Church of England but that's the point that it got to really. Um, so there wasn't any reason for me to not come to church so I came along to the Victory Outreach evening um, with Steve my partner and people had invited us along. I already knew what sort of thing to expect because you know people have talked to me about it. Um, about people's lives that are changed by God who've been in trouble with the law or been in prison. Um, but on that night, I was just blown away by their stories and how they could be so different uh, as people. Um, and that moment for me when at the end the, the guy at the front said, you know, if you want to give your life to Jesus, put your hand up, I couldn't think of any reason not to. Um, and just ever since that moment, God has proved to me continuously why that was the best decision I've ever made, without a doubt. That idea of when you have children and you see them every day and you don't notice that they're growing and that they're changing, but then when you look at photos or someone else sees them, you realise how much they've grown and how much they've changed as people. And that's the same as me, really. Like, I don't look and reflect on myself every day and, and daily, so I don't take any notice, but it's moments like this when I'm sitting down that I realise just how much I've changed and you know the way that God is using me um, for him and working with young people it just blows me away every time and I think when I look back at that night um, making that decision that was the game changer for me nothing's been the same since What an amazing story, eh? Game changer. And Charlene's photograph is up here with all these other people. 
world famous people and people that you probably haven't heard of but once you start looking at you'll realise just the impact they've made on the planet and we believe that the ultimate game changer is Jesus Christ and when you meet Jesus not only does he change your game but you also become a game changer yourself. Now it's exam season, or it has been exam season. Some of you, how many of you taken exams over the last few weeks? How many of you got exams still to come? Oh, okay, so it has been exam season. Oh, one over there at the corner. So here's an exam uh, illustration. A psychology professor at the University of Miami knew his students expected a terrifying, terrifyingly long final exam. To play with their minds a little, and what do you expect from a psychology professor? He only put one question on the final exam. He watched the reactions of the students as they all opened the exams and they saw the one question. Initially, they all looked relieved. But as the difficulty of the question began to sink in, those relieved faces sagged to confusion and consternation. All that is except for one student. He read the question tapped his pencil into the palm of his hand a few times, then jotted something down on the test paper, then walked up to the professor, handed him the final and walked out. The professor blinked in surprise, looked at what the student wrote and smiled. The professor then wrote 100% on top of that student's test. The question, what is courage? The student's answer, this is. (laughs) Can I just say, if you're going to do an exam... Don't ever do that, okay? Don't ever do that, you're going to fail. But that's courage. And we believe that Jesus is the ultimate game changer. But one of the things that makes things happen in your life, one of the game changing issues in your life is courage. Is courage. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a guy from the Bible uh, who encountered Jesus one day. And the courage that this guy showed And the power of God through Jesus changed his game and he became a game changer. So if you've got a Bible, it's Mark chapter 10. If you've been around church any longer than a few weeks or months, you may know this story. It's quite a well-known story. It's almost like a Sunday school story in one sense, but it's got loads more in it than that. So it's Mark chapter 10 verse 46 and I'll read the story to you and then we're going to look at five things about this guy's courage and hopefully apply it to ourselves and see what God wants to say through that. So it says this, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. That's amazing right there, isn't it? Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, rabbi or teacher, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Let me just give you a little bit of background. A rabbi is a teacher, okay? And a rabbi had loads of people that would follow him. They were called his disciples or his followers. And how a rabbi often taught was not like we teach today, okay, in a classroom or me speaking and you listening. A rabbi often taught by walking along a road with his followers, with his disciples. And this particular road that comes through Jericho is the main road. It goes through Jericho and then 15 miles later it ends up in Jerusalem. 
So Jericho is a town 15 miles outside of Jerusalem. And what's really interesting is that when Jesus or when any rabbi came to town, he'd have a group of followers, disciples with him. And as they were walking along the road, he would be teaching them. That's how they taught. He'd be teaching them. So what happens here on this particular day is that Jericho is 15 miles from Jerusalem. And Jesus and his disciples are heading on this road through Jericho and on to Jerusalem for the Passover. The Passover is an incredibly important celebration feast in Jewish uh, faith and history. And um, as Jesus is heading to the Passover, people in the town are really excited because a rabbi is coming to town and they want to listen to what he teaches his followers as they walk along the road. This is really important. But the other interesting thing is this. Under Jewish law, every male over the age of 12 who lives in a 15-mile radius of Jerusalem has to go to the Passover. So that includes everyone from Jericho. The problem is there's a lot of people live in Jericho and they can't all fit in Jerusalem. So even though under the law they should be there, many of the people in the crowd on that day weren't going to the Passover. Not only that, but in Jerusalem, in the temple, there were 20,000 priests who were on duty in the temple. Now, they didn't need 20,000 priests, so they were all put on rotors. Believe it or not, rotors existed back then, okay? We all love rotors, don't we? What would the world be like without a rotor? And so all these priests are on rotors. So some of them are there, but some of them aren't. So in the crowd that day are loads of people who couldn't make it to Jerusalem and priests who weren't on duty. And in that crowd that day was a man called Bartimaeus, a blind man, a beggar, someone that nobody thought anything of. He just sat there. And as Jesus walks through on that road, some incredible stuff is going on. You can see and you can feel and sense that there's expectancy in the crowd. You see, there are some people in the crowd that day, and Bartimaeus is one, who literally just lie in the streets watching other people go on to Jerusalem. There are some people who spend their entire lives watching other people live their life. And Bartimaeus is one of these guys. Not only he, He's not watching people live their lives, he can't see. He's literally listening to people going past him, heading towards Jerusalem, heading to where all the action is. And on that day, Bartimaeus gets out of bed. Well, actually, he doesn't. He just gets out of his cloak, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Gets off his cloak, and, and he goes down to his spot, and he gets into the spot, the same spot he has every single day of his life. And he does what he's done every single day of his life. But today, something's different. Because there's a buzz in the air and he can't see it, but he knows something's different. There are more people, there's more noise, there's more commotion. And it's like, what? It's like World Cup fever has come to Jericho, like pre-England, do you know what I mean? And it's like something is happening, there's a buzz in the city and he doesn't know what's happening. And then so he says to some people, he must say, what's happening, what's going on? And they, they tell him, the Rabbi Jesus, who we've all heard about, who's been doing incredible things around the country... And around the area, he's coming to town. He's going to pass by any moment now. He'll be teaching his disciples. We're lining the streets because we want to see him and we want to hear what he says. Can you imagine being Bartimaeus? In fact, I'm calling him Bart. This is Bart's story. I know it's like an episode out of The Simpsons, but this is Bart's story. Can you imagine being blind? You see, being blind today is a challenge, but we have all kinds of resources, all kinds of help, all kinds of um, you know, uh, allowances and, and support and all that. In the day of Jesus, there were lots of blind people living in the Middle East. Whether it was to do with the, the time, of, you know, with the heat and the sun, all that. There are a lot of blind people. They had no support. If you were born blind, your only uh, possibility uh, for an existence was to beg. So Bartimaeus, all he can do is beg at the roadside. 
And this particular day, he was sitting where he's always sat, doing what he's always done, but he's about to have his game changed. He's about to encounter Jesus, who's going to change his game, and he is going to become a game changer. But it's going to start with his courage, because it takes courage to be a game changer. Now, what has all this got to do with us today? When you look at healing miracles or any miracles in the Bible, there are all different layers and levels of meaning. And I want to suggest three to you this morning, which I think will cover quite a lot of us here. Number one, there's just the as it is level, the physical need. This man had a physical need. He needed healing. He was blind. I want to say something. We believe in this church that God heals today. He heals physically. In fact, tonight we've got a healing service here and you're very welcome to come. We believe God heals physically. We've seen it. Many of us have experienced it for ourselves or in other people. Now, there are a lot of questions with it, okay? Does God heal everybody all the time? That's an interesting question. Why is it that some people seem to be healed and others don't? There's all kinds of questions and and we engage with all that, but we believe that God heals. So if today, this morning, you have a physical issue, when I finish speaking, we're going to invite you to respond and we're going to pray for you. And if you want to, we're going to pray for you. We won't do anything spectacular other than pray for you, but God, the game changer, might heal you. Amen? Because that's what he does. So this story is relevant to us for many of us in this room because we, we have a physical issue. It may not be blindness, but it may be something else. And we believe that Jesus heals today. He's a game changer. And if you've ever had a healing encounter with God, you know what a game changer that can be in your own life. But there's another level of meaning, not only physical need, but what about spiritual need? Helen Keller was an American woman born deaf and blind in the 19th century. She became the first deaf and blind person to get a Bachelor of Arts degree from a university. She was an incredible author and Christian writer. And she said this, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. And it may be that that right now that actually you're a little like Bartimaeus because you haven't got a physical need but you've got a spiritual need. You just can't see what God is doing. You just can't see. You have no vision right now. And it could be that an encounter with Jesus is a game changer for you today. But there's a third layer, a level to this as well. There's a situational need. See, I think Bartimaeus speaks not just about physical or spiritual need, but situational need. It's almost like it describes how many of our lives can be. Where we just sat in the same spot, doing the same thing, listening to everyone else living their life. Watching while everyone else goes by, heading towards God, heading towards what God's got, a sense of adventure and purpose, and our life is stuck right where it is. And it could be this morning that that describes your life. And I want to say, an encounter with the game changer will change everything. It really will. But it takes courage. Someone said this, if God wanted us to be brave, why did he give us legs? (laughs) kind of run away. John Wayne, that great theologian of the last century, he says, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. Come on. And then that little quote that we've used before from the film We Bought a Zoo, uh, a great quote, great, great quote, says, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery, and I promise you something great will happen. So before we get into this, I want to ask you, have you got within you 20 seconds of insane courage, almost embarrassing bravery? Because if you have, you might meet the game changer today and that could change everything. Five things about Bartimaeus. Number one, the courage to use what you've got. 
You see, as Jesus, as he hears Jesus coming, he can't see him, but he can speak because he's got a voice. So he has the courage to use what he's got, not to moan about what he's not got. And many people spend their whole lives moaning about what they've not got, rather than having the courage to use what they have got. And the game never changes until you use what you have got. How many of you are wearing jeans this morning? Levi's. <laughs> They're too expensive, aren't they? But you know, Levi Strauss, the guy that, that invented Levi's, amazingly, in the mid-19th century, he headed out to the west coast of America, to California, where the gold rush was on. And he had a whole load of fabric with him, very strong fabric, which he was going to use for tents and to sell uh, and for, uh, to cover wagons. But when he got there, the miners who were trying to look for gold said, you know what, this is such rough work, we need some tr- pants trousers, some pants as the Americans call them, you know, that are strong enough. And so Levi Strauss thought, I've got all this fabric for tents. And he turned them into trousers that became jeans. Legendary. He struck gold, literally, by inventing the jeans. By using what he'd got, not by moaning about what he'd not got. So perhaps that's you this morning. Perhaps you're thinking, oh, my game's not changing. My game's not changing. Perhaps it's because you're moaning about what you've not got rather than using what you have. But secondly, the courage to keep shouting. So he starts shouting and then the crowd keep him, want to keep him quiet. Why do they do that? Because, as I described earlier, the rabbi teaches his people as he's walking along the road. They want to hear the rabbi. And so they're really annoyed by this fellow shouting. So they want to keep him quiet. So they try to shush him. And they criticise and they keep him pressed down. Or they try to. Robert Fulton invented the steamship. The day he demonstrated it on the river, the riverbank was lined with crowds of people. And they were all shouting this, it'll never start, it'll never start. I'm sure it's American, it must be British, it's that negative, okay? But that's, that's, basically that's what they're, they're singing. But Fulton carried on and eventually the steamship cranked into life and it moved up the river. The crowd went silent. Then the crowd started shouting again, it'll never stop, it'll never stop. Because that's what the crowd are like, do you know that? They're so fickle. The crowd will turn in an instant. And this crowd were shouting and trying to keep him quiet. But he had courage to keep on shouting. He had courage. Because he sensed that there's something in this person that's more important than the fear that I'm experiencing. And if I can take just 20 seconds of insane courage, embarrassing bravery to push through, my game might be changed. My game might be changed. Oh, you know, the crowd is so fickle. Fred Astaire, one of the perhaps the greatest dancers who's ever lived on this planet, at his first screen test, the director said of Fred Astaire, three things, can't act, slightly bald, can dance a little. That was it. That was the crowd. Parents of the opera singer Enrico Caruso wanted him to be an engineer because they said they felt he had no voice. Walt Disney was fired from a newspaper because he lacked creativity and ideas. See, this is what the crowd will do. This is what the crowd will do. And it's really interesting. But, but he had courage to keep pressing forward. And I, I love this. I love this thought that you're always going to be criticised by someone. So choose who you're going to be criticised by. Choose why it's, you're going to be criticised. You can be criticised for remaining passive and staying quiet. Or you can be criticised for going for God. You'll be criticised whatever you do. You might as well choose a good option. A guy called Charles Stanley, who's an American Baptist minister, said this, Too many Christians have a commitment of convenience. They'll stay faithful as long as it's safe and doesn't involve risk, rejection or failure. Instead of standing alone in the face of challenge or temptation, they check to see which way their friends are going. 
You know, if you've got friends who when you want to go for God or when you want to do something new in your life or when you want to press forward for God, if you've got friends who are telling you that are trying to shush you and keep you quiet, you haven't got great friends. Now that's different from having great friends who will tell you, actually, you're being a muppet right now. Okay, so we all need them in our life. That's wisdom. But if you're sensing that you're really going for God and you've got people trying to keep you quiet, you want to check about the kind of voices that you're listening to. And the Bible says not only did he have the courage to use what he got, not only did he have the courage to keep shouting when the crowd tried to keep him quiet, but then what happened is that Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. Can you imagine that? Like Everyone must think, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, there are crowds of people here. There are priests here. You're stopping for this beggar. He's saying, yeah, because I'll tell you what, his courage is doing something to me. And it's a little bit like this. I think Jesus would say, when you, you know, I'll alter my rhythm when you discover your strength. I'll stop while I'm, you'll get my attention when you discover something in you and you use what you've got. And Jesus stopped. I think that is absolutely amazing. And then Jesus commands them to bring Bartimaeus to call him. Now, this is not like the, the, the story when Jesus was again in a crowd and there was a woman who had a, a blood issue, a blood sickness. And she would have been then ceremonially in Jewish law unclean and couldn't touch anyone or be near anyone, let alone a rabbi. But she presses through the crowd, touches Jesus. He doesn't even know that it's happening. This is not like that. See, Bartimaeus is ceremonially unclean as well because he's a blind man, he's a beggar. He can't touch a rabbi neither. But the difference is Jesus invites him and calls him into his presence. So this is amazing. Yesterday, this man was excluded from the presence of God, but today he's commanded to enter. Isn't that amazing? He's literally, he was on the outside looking in and Jesus says, you need to be on the inside looking out, boy. And he calls him and commands them to bring him into his presence, all because of this man's courage. This man's courage and this man's faith. And here's the best bit of the thought. Who brought them to him? Who brought him to Jesus? The people who were telling him to be quiet. The people who were trying to shush him were then the people who had to bring him into the presence of Jesus. Now the whole game comes down to this one moment. When he's commanded and or called to come to his, in his presence, he has got a decision to make. And in that 20 seconds of insane courage, embarrassing bravery, Bartimaeus does the next thing. He has the courage to throw off the old. The Bible says he took off his cloak, threw off his cloak and came to Jesus. What's the big deal with the cloak? You're probably thinking about why on earth would I put a jacket on this morning when it's that hot? That's because I'm going to demonstrate something to you. And, and, and I'm really glad that we've got to that point in the sermon now, okay? Because <laughs> it's flipping killing me. <laughs> you see, every, every man in Middle Eastern culture had two items of clothing at least, a tunic and a cloak. The cloak uh, what the cloak was, it was quite a big, actually, thick uh, piece of garment. And at night time, when it gets quite cold in that part of the world, they would sleep on the cloak. They would lift it over their head. It would provide comfort and warmth and security. And for the blind man, it was really familiar. And I, my eyesight's going a bit, but I'm not blind. And I can't imagine what it would be like. But I could imagine that for someone who is blind, visually impaired, that familiarity is really important. If you're on your own in your house, you need to know that six steps forward, two to the right, one in front, that's the fridge. Yeah, you, you want to know that. Familiarity is really important. But here's the thing. If you want to experience God, if you want God to change your game, you have to leave the old in order to experience the new. You have to throw off the cloak. Because this represents 
all kinds of things that we develop in our life which keep us familiar, comfortable, secure, even, can I say, dysfunctional. We like it. We like it because it keeps us in what we know rather than the fear of experiencing what we don't know. And so what we often do is we think, Jesus is passing by. I want something new. I want something different. So what we do is we begin to take off our cloak. That's beginning to feel a little bit scary. Because when I wore it, it felt familiar. It felt comfortable. It felt safe. Do you know what? He'll come tomorrow. He'll come back tomorrow, won't he? It's bound to come back tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. But Jesus isn't coming back tomorrow necessarily. He didn't. So actually Bartimaeus, in that 20 seconds of insane courage, took off the cloak and completely let it go. And I can imagine that he might have looked at the cloak before he headed after Jesus and said, oh, just, just one second, I just need to have a conversation with his cloak. And he may have said something like this, cloak, I want to really thank you for all that you've done for me over these past few years. Because to be honest, you have kept me alive at night. You kept me warm, you kept me comfortable, you kept me safe, you kept me for secure. And that's been brilliant. And I really thank you for a book. For where I'm going now, you don't belong. And if I'm going to experience something new in my life, I've got to let you go as hard as it is and as painful as it is. I've got to let what's familiar go in order to experience something that's new. Just before, I've been away in uh, Malaysia for two weeks speaking at different events. And um, it was the first time that I've been on a trip like that on my own. It's just a whole set of circumstances. I don't like traveling on my own for a whole variety of reasons. And the first event I was speaking at the church had asked me to speak on this subject, all things new. Behold, I'm doing all things new. Seven talks I had to do on that one line, all things new. So I prepared it and I was preparing it. And, and I, before I went, I was kind of praying up Clint and I was thinking, God, I'm really a little bit kind of nervous about this. And I'm like, I'm going on my own. I don't know the churches. I don't know the people. It's a brand new city. It's a brand new country, to be honest. It's a brand new thing. It felt all a little bit like unfamiliar. And as I was praying, you know, I'd already prepared this thought that God is so into the new because without new, you don't need faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that's why God's so much into the new because if you didn't have new, you wouldn't need faith. And without faith, you can't please God. And as I was thinking about this and thinking, oh, do I really want to do this? God spoke and said, Leon, you'll go in there to talk to those people about experiencing something new. You've got to experience it as well. Because you see, for me, I was like, do you know what? I wonder if it's too late for me to get someone that I know to come with me. Wouldn't it be great if I was actually going to places that I knew and people that I knew and uh, with things that are familiar? But God said to me, no, you can't do that because if you want to experience the new, you've got to let go of the old and of the familiar. So I wonder this morning, folks, is there some stuff in our lives that has become like a cloak of familiarity, which is keeping us comfortable and keeping us safe, but maybe keeping us in our dysfunction and actually, God is saying, if you want the game to change, you've got to let go of the old. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. And then he throws it and then he runs to Jesus. And then Jesus says this amazing question, what do you want me to do for you? And here's the fourth thing, the courage to be specific. What do you want me to do for you? And Bart, Bart replies, Rabbi, I want to see. It's like that man who was lame and he was at the pool for 38 years and every time the water was stirred, they believed that if you could get in, you'd be healed. And every time the water was stirred, he missed out. For 38 years, he lay there as a lame man, and again, a beggar. And Jesus comes along and says, do you want to get well? It's like, how insulting is that? Of course I want to get well. Really? And this man wrote, what do you want me to do for you? You have to ask me that, Jesus? Of course, what I want you to do is I want you to make me see. 
But here's the thing, folks. Jesus asked these questions, not because he didn't know the answers, but because we really need to want, want to get well. We really want to, need to get, want to get well or to see, and often we don't. There was a study done some years ago, and I've said this before, on heart disease. And a whole load of people who had heart disease were told by doctors, unless you change your lifestyle, change your diet, change your exercise, change what you're eating and drinking, unless you change, you will die. The research said this, one out of seven changed. So you're told you're going to die unless you change, but only one out of seven changed. Did the other six want to die? Of course not. But there's something that goes on in the human psyche that says, I really want the new, but I'm actually a little more content with the familiar. And so it's a little bit like this. I want to lose weight, but what do I do or not do that works against that? Yeah, I want to get close to God, but I don't read my Bible. Why don't I do that? I want to get rid of this addiction or this habit, but I keep doing this. And this is the thing. We keep going between this and this. The accelerator, we want the new. The brake, held to the past. What we have to do is this. We have to go from that to that to this, which is why do I keep doing that? So if I want to lose weight, but this is all the things that I do or don't do that don't cause me to lose weight, the question is, why do I do those things? I want to be close to God, but I don't do all that stuff or I do that other stuff. The question is, why do I do that stuff or not do that stuff? Are you with me? And this is why Jesus is saying, listen, if you want your game to be changed, you've got to let me go deeper. You've got to throw off the old that's familiar. You've got to come into what's unfamiliar and a little bit scary. But in that 20 seconds of insane courage, everything can change. And what I love then is that right at the end, the Bible says, immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. The fifth thing is this, the courage to change direction. Many people at this season of Jesus' life stop following him. See, a few months before, he was very popular. He did all these amazing healing miracles and everyone followed him. But all of a sudden, his teaching got a little bit harder. And as he was getting towards Jerusalem and towards the end of his life, people stopped following him. In fact, he healed 10 lepers of leprosy. Nine of them ran on their merry way. Only one came back to say, thank you. Bartimaeus, when Jesus changed his game, he became a game changer because he followed Jesus along the road. Have you got the courage to change direction? In a moment, I'm going to ask the band to come back up and we're going to create a bit of space here and time and hopefully we're going to pray for some people this morning. But you know, it could be that you're sitting there thinking, Do you know, I really want to follow Jesus. I really want to set that course, that direction. I'm not sure what the next step is. Listen, if you're a Christian and you've not been baptized, let me tell you, baptism is the next step. And we are so passionate about baptism here in this church that the five of us who are pastors, myself, Dan, Simon, Andy and Helena, we spent about a couple of days preparing a teaching DVD, which we've done. We researched it, um, we, we learned our lines, we filmed it, it's been edited and all of that. And we want to give it to anybody who want, who's thinking about baptism. It only lasts 10 minutes, but on that DVD, it shows you what baptism is explains to you why you should get baptised, what are some of the common objections, how do you know you're ready, what about children and baptism, what about young people and baptism, what do I actually do, what about that thing about giving your story, why do I have to do that, you know, can you help me with that, it's practical and hopefully inspirational. And here's a thought, could you take 20 seconds today, if you've never been baptised, and go to the welcome area and in 20 seconds sign your name and pick up a DVD, you could do that in 20 seconds couldn't you? Or you could think about it tomorrow, do it next week. But you won't do it. 
You won't do it. And the game never changes unless we employ courage. That 20 seconds of insane courage, embarrassing bravery, and everything could change. But you know, for the rest of us, I wonder this morning, are there some of you here, and actually you have a physical need. You have a physical need of healing. God is the healer. God is the healer. You, you, you have a spiritual need. You just can't see him right now. You have a situation need. Your life feels like Bartimaeus. Is it like everyone else is passing by and living life and heading to where God is and they're in the action and they're on the adventure and their purpose and my life is monotonous and predictable. Everything can change when you meet the game changer. Why don't we pray? What we're going to do is going to invite you in a moment to respond. Any of you that want prayer, just come to the front here. Just come and stand along the front and then some people from our prayer team will just come and pray for you. And it could be that for you it's a physical need. It could be that it's a, a spiritual need. It could be that it's a situational need right now. It could just be that you, there's just something in your heart that says, I want more of God. I want more. Of, I just want to hear about Him. I want to see Him. I want to be in His presence. I want to actually step into it. I'm fat enough of being excluded or feeling that I'm on the edge. I want to be right where He is. And that could be you this morning as well. And we want to pray for you. We had an amazing time in the first service. So many people just responding to God. But no, that, that service is gone. This service is here. You're here. And God is here. He's a game changer. But it's going to take some courage. And I reckon it will take you about 20 seconds to get up out of your chair and to walk down to the front. But in that 20 seconds of insane courage and embarrassing bravery, you might meet the game changer, which is none of us but it's him. Father, thank you that you're an amazing God, Jesus, that you would stop, that you would stop in your tracks for this man. God, what an incredible God you are. God, we heard Charlene's story, that young girl there, pregnant, trying to get to grips with a a new life that she didn't didn't envisage, had a heart for young people. God, on that night, that moment when you changed her game and now she is a game changer. God, that's because you stopped for her. She got your attention. You called her into your presence. You healed her spiritually and you set her on a new course. And God, you can do that for every single person here as well. Whether we're just starting out or whether we've been a Christian a long time. We've allowed ourselves just to get caught up in the old familiar dysfunctional stuff and the cloak and in that place of darkness. God, we can throw that aside. We can experience the touch of the game changer today. So God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill this place with your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand? So the guys begin to sing. I want to invite you. Any of you that want prayer this morning, just respond. We'll pray for you. And as, as we sing and as we worship, just let the, the words of this really simple song stir your heart this morning. Set a fire down in my soul. I can't contain or I can't control. I want more of you, Lord. I want more of you, Lord. Let it, let it cause something to rise in your heart. So you respond as we sing.